0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the StrongCast Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, the king of StrongCast, Tyler Mitchell. And as usual on Fridays, this is our classic show review day. But also, I have something very special for you guys at the very end of this show. I have a 30-minute interview with Mr. John Paul LeBlanc. Now, for you that don't know who he is, he's what I like to call photographer to the stars. He's worked with the likes of Booker T, Jeff Jarrett, Cody Rhodes, some of the biggest and brightest names in professional wrestling, while discovering unknown and future top-tier talents in the world of professional wrestling. He's going to be on talking about his promotion with Hoodmark, Lucha Libre Productions, and also working along with Kobe Rutland, Body Slam Media Productions, And they're having Mississippi's first ever Lucha Libre Showcase. Which is going to be headlined by M.Dahl Matt Cross. Also known as Son of Havoc and Lucha Underground. And also Ricky Reyes from Lucha Underground as well. Along with a bunch of other talent coming across from all parts of the southern region. And this event will be taking place Saturday, May 4th Cinco de Mayo weekend. In Brandon, Mississippi. Brandon City Hall. Tickets start out. At $15 and kids under 6 and 12 get in for $10. Doors open at 5.30 p.m. And bell time starts at 6.30 p.m. Like I said, stay tuned to the end of the podcast to hear that interview. We're going to be talking about all the matches that are going to be on the card. We're just going to be talking about professional wrestling in general. Just the love of the sport and what you love to listen to on this podcast. Now before we get into that... Today's episode, we're covering the March 30th, 1998 episode of Monday Night Raw. Now, for those of you who do not know what that is, that is the episode the night after WrestleMania 14, and it's one of the biggest episodes of Monday Night Raw, and it really was a catalyst in the change in the Monday Night Wars, where Austin is your WWF champion. You have a defection from WCW to WWE and you have so much going on with undertaker and kane you have what's going to happen in the main event with the change in diet from where we knew it was sean and hunter onto where it is now everything in between so sit back grab a hold and listen to the strong cast wrestling podcast and let's dive right in this special episode of monday night raw now guys go on your wwe network Go find this Monday Night Raw from 1998 March 30th, and I'll give you a countdown to start to play. Three, two, one, play. We start off with the one over 100 countries, seven different languages, over half a billion people watching the World Wrestling Federation, the worldwide leader in sports and entertainment. And we we'll get a video package showing. The highlights of WrestleMania 14, again, a historical moment in the Attitude Era, in the Monday Night Wars, and it's one of those things that people really didn't think about, but Mike Tyson coming in, helping along as we see a bunch of highlights, sable him the Sable Bomb on Luna, Shamrock versus The Rock. Mike Tyson was a catalyst for change in the WWE, because with his presence, him joining d and putting the odds against Austin, who was the hottest babyface at the time, it just made everything so special. And you're like, what's going to happen? And I'm not going to spoil what happens yet. I just saw what happened. But it's just something that amazes me. And I'm happy to see that this is, again, a catalyst for change you know, for the WWE. And they needed this so desperately. And I think going back and watching from here on out, WWE is just going to go up and up. And there's no stopping them. We get this classic intro using the thorn in your eye theme song from Monday Night Raw back in the day. And just watching this play out. You know, now on Monday Night Raw, is just goes straight into it. There's no entrance video anymore. There's no power of There's nothing. It is bare bones minimum now. And I get that that's a cost-cutting measure for WWE. But, man, there's so much added effect. And this is so gritty and, you know, pardon the pun here, is Raw. Is raw, is gritty. It's just everything that amplified the Attitude Era. As we get the pyro on the intro, such a beautiful sight. You see fans just having signs everywhere. Old WWF logo hanging out. Just a beautiful time, man. And a great time to be a wrestling fan. You know, as you see all these signs, you see the Undertaker sign, you see Austin signs, just. It's beautiful to see, and it reminds me so much of my childhood, although I didn't start watching wrestling until the very next year in 1999. We're in Albany, New York for this episode, uh, which they were in the Fleet Center in Boston for WrestleMania 14, so I didn't have too far to travel. I see a Riff Flair sign in the crowd. Holy crap, okay. I see you. We got J.R. and Michael Cole on commentary. And they're breaking down everything that's happened within the past 24 hours as far as WrestleMania goes. And guys, like I said, I'm really excited for this episode because so much happened in this episode. And just from the beginning, it's going to set a tone because here comes Mr. McMahon with the brand new Big Eagle WWF Championship. That thing is a thing of beauty. I've had a replica belt version of that. I haven't had the Block logo version. I had the Scratch logo. But the Block logo version is so gorgeous. Got that blue strap. And this is the death of the Winged Eagle belt. Uh, The belt that's been around since, I believe, 84, 85 with Hulk Hogan. And, you know, the lights of Macho Man Randy Savage and Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Undertaker, Rip Flair, so many have held that Wing Eagle belt, and it's crazy to see that belt go away, but I think with the Big Eagle design, it got bigger and better to me. I love the layout, just gorgeous. Crowd's going crazy here, McMahon's trying to speak, but his microphone isn't working at the time. Even though you can hear him clear as day, he just can't hear himself talk. It's funny to see he's upset because the mic's not working. And no, this part doesn't set the tone for the night, so just just be patient. Because right here, he's going to bring out your new... WWF champion The Texas Rattlesnake himself Stone Cold Steve Austin And This crowd just erupts man The crowd just goes crazy here Stone Cold Straight up big shit boys Uh, Okay Austin coming out with that winged eagle belt. Looking gorgeous. Got his SCU shirt on. Shout out to SCU and AEW. Christopher Daniels, Scorpio Sky, and Frankie Azari. And I see you. But this SCU is Stone Cold University. Now Austin takes the belt from Vince. Drops the winged eagle onto Vince's foot. Vince is hobbling around. And before this happened... On an episode of Raw a couple of weeks before WrestleMania, Vince McMahon was interviewed by Kevin Kelly, and he was asked, do you want Stone Cold Steve Austin to win the WWE Championship? And he said, well, it's not a no, it's an oh, hell no. So there's a little bit of animosity already between Austin and McMahon, and this is the catalyst for their feud. Later on this year, they would have one on one match that wouldn't go anywhere because of a dude love interference. But Vince would always stick in the side of Austin from now until the end, end of his run in about 99 in 2000, before he turned heel at WrestleMania 17 in 2001. Vince says he wants to clear up the air about what he said to Austin a couple weeks ago in his interview. He said he's proud that Austin's champion and that together with Austin's physical prowess and McMahon's mental prowess, that Austin could one day become the greatest world champion of all time. Austin tells McMahon to cut through the crap. He knows Vince hates him, but that's okay because Austin hates him right back. He said, this isn't a you and me thing, this isn't a we thing. McMahon isn't going to mold him or break him because what you see with Austin is what you get. And that if Vince don't like it, oh well, tough luck. Vince says, I don't hate you. I don't have the ability to hate, which that, I think that's a lie. I think everybody in this world knows Vince hates certain things and certain people. Shout out to all the jobbers in WWE. He says that hate is not a word that is in his vocabulary. He says that he finds Austin be a genuine human being and that he actually kind of loves him. Austin says, you what? You what? What'd you say? And Austin's facial expressions through this And McMahon's shocked because Austin knows what he's wanting him to say. But McMahon says, oh, I think you're a swell guy. Austin says, I know you said that, but what else did you say? And says, when I said I loved you, that was a figure of speech. Just loving this back and forth because Austin's trying to get him to say I love you again. And McMahon's having none of it. He's trying to work his way around it. And it's just, he's like, come on now. I don't want to say this out loud. He said, I said I love you, okay? He said, I love you, but it's still just a figure of speech. And Austin says, alright, that's okay, I love you too. And Now that we've got all the gratuitous BS out of the way, Austin says, he's not going to do things Vince's way. He's going to do things his way. He's going to create havoc and cause Vince to have so many more gray hairs every day for the rest of Vince's life. Nobody tells Austin what to do, and that's the bottom line. Vince says, we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way, Mr. Austin. And that that's going to be Austin's decision. And Austin says, what's the easy way? He says the easy way is to adapt and to change. And the crowd's just booing the shit out of Vince at this time. Nobody's wanting Austin change. They don't want a corporate Austin. He says that adaptation is a key of life as well as in business. And that that's the easy way. But the hard way is, well, Austin's going to do things his way anyway. So that's the hard way. And McMahon says, you don't want to choose that option. Austin says, well, that is an extremely important decision. Do you mind if I take a few seconds to think about this? McMahon says, by all means. Now here, you can see, you know what's coming here. You know exactly what's coming. Austin's in here, faking like he's pondering about the decision. All of a sudden, puts his hand up. Bam, kid to the stomach. Stone Cold Stunner on Vince McMahon for the second time now. The first time being at MSG in September of 97, McMahon's selling horribly on this stunner, which I believe Bruce Pritcher mentioned on his podcast that Vince wanted to do stunners this way because he didn't want people to think he was a trained athlete. He just falls straight down, man. It looks so crazy. It's way better than the stunner at MSG. That's for damn sure, but... You know, at least at least make it look good, Vince. Come on now, that's your top star. me some love. Jr. has a line here where he says, "Austin will never be Employee of the Month." Austin grabs the mic and says, "What you just seen was the way to do things the hard way. And if you want still Cold to continue doing things the hard way, give me a hell yeah." Crowd just goes crazy. And that's the way we end this segment, man. Starting off hot, like I said at the beginning, this is a hot episode, groundbreaking episode. And man, let's see what's up next. We get the setup for the encore presentation of WrestleMania 14, The battles between Kane and Undertaker, Austin, and Shawn Michaels. Austin being revealed as a new champion. The d Eds Band, which was god dang atrocious. Their rendition of America the Beautiful was fucking terrible man, they got booted out of the building. If you haven't watched that, go find that, man. That shit's fucking awful. And we get a replay of what just happened moments ago with Austin Stunner and man. And, again, just their facial expressions. And I think that's one of the big keys that people don't ever think about is the expressions on my man's face, on Austin's face, when anything ever happens to them that's caused by one or the other, it's fucking hilarious and it made it real. There was intensity there. <laughs> man, may have fell down the damn steps, getting out of the ring. Oh my God, what craziness! And Michael Cole and Jim Ross are talking about what's going to be happening later tonight. Man, we go backstage. Gerald Briscoe, Sergeant Slaughter, Pat Patterson, tending to Vince, getting him some water. Say Vince saying his nets hurt, and that. I believe they're going to call law enforcement on Austin later on in the night. We'll see how that goes. Out is LOD2000, who had made their return at the previous night's show at WrestleMania in the Battle Royal for the tag team title shots. Now, this Road Warrior Hall, Road Warrior Animal, and Sonny. And in 97, late 97, early 98, the Road Warriors had went through a bit of a phase where they were having fights with each other. And they're facing the Barique, Barique was here. Excuse me. And they had a bit of a falling out. And somehow Sonny brought them together. Sunny looking only as she can look. I'll tell you what. Sonny from 96 to 98. Just fucking spectacular, dude. She is so stunning. And it's crazy to see how far she's fallen off. And of course, we all know why she's fallen off. And it's a damn shame. Someone that beautiful and to fall off like that. Uh, from the Bariquas is Jose and Jesus that's fighting LOD. We got Animal in the short trunks. Hawk's still rocking his long trunks. Both of them have their head shaved, which is different from how they looked going into 98 from 97. Uh, Animal still had the mohawk and Hawk had his buzz shaved head with the inverted mohawk. Get it? Boom. Doomsday device. This one's over, folks. Get the 1, 2, and 3. And LOD2000 are on a roll since coming back. And, man, I hate to say it, you know, come towards the middle of this year and towards the end of the year, it's not going to be that way. And it's sad, you know. Hawk had a lot of personal issues at the time. And that kind of delayed everything. And they brought draws in. And it really didn't help much. I mean, this is pretty much the last time you'd see LOD on a high before everything happened, and before Halt's eventual passing in I believe 2003. Now they did have a little short run of TNA right before he had passed, but this was the last big hurrah for them before before everything happened. Just you see flash bulbs, you see signs. It's just it's crazy. Bad stage with Kevin Kelly, and he's saying that Vince. Did call law enforcement, and we'll have Austin arrested later on tonight. We get another one of these classic vignettes with Classy Freddy Blassie, Killer Kowalski, Pat Patterson, Ernie Ladd, Gorilla Monsoon, just stuff like this, and they're talking about watching these young talents, and back in their day, they didn't have to do high-flying, but they marvel at what these guys can do compared to what they did back in the day. And it's just homage to the old school and also some love for the new school. And I love videos like this. David Sahadi stuff is just world class. I wish he was back with WWE now because, damn, they need something. And I think stuff like this for this WWF Attitude promotion, it's, it's beautiful. And it's just one of those things where it makes things more interesting. Little things like this. Make the show better. And that's something the WWE needs to be looking into. We get yet another recap of the stunner that happened to Mr. McMahon earlier tonight. And again, just fall straight down stunner. Which again, like I said, it looks way better than the stunner he took at MSG. And again, we see him falling off the steps. Looking like a big idiot. And he's holding his neck. He's hurt, obviously. And we go backstage. Kevin Kelly is back there. And he's still continuing the conversation about McMahon. Wanting to have police officers there to arrest Stone Cold Steve Austin. No matter how many people it takes. He wants Austin arrested tonight. And they're going to find out about it later on. And out comes the Jackal with Kurgan. Now, Jackal Don Callis came into WWE. And he's kind of like this David Koresh type character. Kind of a cult leader. And Kurgan at the time. I don't know if he was known as the interrogator here still or what. But they were part of the Truth Commission and they disbanded that and it was just Kurgan and Jackal for a little bit. As we get chains in the ring as well, aka Fake Undertaker from SummerSlam ninety four, I believe. Jackal was weird with that diamond on his head. I should I say Ruby. And they were heavy getting Kurgan over here. This is before the Oddities and all that bullshit. They were trying to push him as a legit threat. And he wasn't the best in-ring worker. You know, a lot of big guys aren't. But he just had that intimidating presence about him. He had this aura about him where he's like, don't fuck with me. He's foreign. And I think they're still playing his freaking Titan Tron in the background. I just caught that. he' toss tossing Chains around here. Chains, as you know, is a member of DOA at this point. And DOA is kind of, they never really had a good run, I would say. They were just there because at the time that man wanted like a gang wars type mentality. And so he had all these different factions of wrestlers, like with the Nation of Domination, you had the DOA, you had the Hart Foundation at the time, and we cut to a side picture of a man waiting for the police to get there. And I don't know why, it was cool for the time, but once Vince said, I'm done with it, it just kind of, they had no purpose. Just like Chains is out here wrestling by himself, you don't have a ball, skull, or anybody like that that's out there helping him. And you had, again, with the Truth Commission, they were a group of, of factions at the time. And it's just cool to see, you know, how Vince's mind changed so quickly. Because in that mid to late 97, it was all about factions. And at this point, it's not really. These two, uh, not really having the best match, you know, it's just two big men going at it. Big boo by Kurgan. And he's getting ready to do the claw. He's got his fingers taped up. I don't blame him. Even though, you know, for the added effect, when Barry Windham would do it, he would have his nails grown out and be digging into your skull and just be bleeding. And as the claws put on, one, two, three, it's over. And Kurgan is not letting go of this hold. Jack comes in laughing like a hyena. And whatever the fuck happened to Jack Don? he's the referee here. What happened to Jad Dawn? I have not seen or heard anything about him since he left. He's one of those people where you know who it is. As Chains is getting drugged by his head, still in the vice grip. Getting drugged outside of the ring here by Kurgan. Good grief. Makes Kurgan look like a strong son of a bitch here. Just dragging him. I definitely wouldn't like to have done like that. And Jad Dawn's dumbass trying to break the grip. No, sir. No, sir, you can't do this. We cut backstage. Messer and Man still waiting on the police to get there. And they finally show up. And it's like, finally y'all show up. Get your asses in here. I want you to arrest Stone Cold Steve Austin. God damn it. And Raw continues. We get a vignette with Mankind promoting Jets figurines, man. Jazz Pacific, or Pacific, I should say, figurines. And I actually had the Mick Foley one, the Mankind one. And... WWF Slammers, is what man that brings my childhood memories. My man saying everybody come together, let's arrest Awesome right now. This son of a bitch is ruining my show. He fucked up my neck. Damn it, he's gonna make me a lot of money, but tonight his ass is that's going to jail. What stage. As they're heading to Austin's locker room, that man says right this way, gentlemen. Jerry's following along with him. Mister Matt, man, you want me to follow the police officers? I can handle him, Mr. Matt. Man. I'll put him in the arm bar and lock him up real quick. We cut right back to the ring with Mr. Tennessee Lee. Man, the former Colonel Rob Parker and WCW. and He's out here to manage the great one before the rock. The ain't-he-great one, Mr. Jeff Jarrett. Double J, man. And this is right after, whoa my God, he's coming out on a horse. What in the blue fuck? He's got light up gear. This is the most extra bullshit I've ever fucking seen. Got light up hat, light up glasses, light up vest, light up pants. This shit is so goddamn cartoony. And it's weird because this is right after Jeff was this super, super, how would you say it, serious character with the NWA, you know, Jim Cornette's version of the NWA that he brought in. And around. Late 97, Jared was coming in, and he demanded, you know, he wanted the best things. He wanted all this good stuff, and he said he was sick of the Double J character. But here we are a couple months later, he's back in it. And Tennessee Lee is his promoter, and I think at the upcoming pay-per-view at Unforgiven, they're having a concert with country band Sawyer Brown. Jared wearing an ugly-ass fucking outfit, and he's facing Aguila, the soon-to-be S.A. Rios. And Aguila just came off a great match with Takamichi Michinoku at the pay-per-view for the light Heavyweight Championship. And at this time, they believed that Aguila was going to be a top star for them. But that really didn't turn out to be. And even with S.A. Rios, the only thing that good came from S.A. Rios was Lita. And it's a shame that he really never got to reach his full potential in WWE. Judge Jerry with a clothesline doing his Richard Knitson impersonation. Tennessee sitting in the ringside talking to Jr. and Cole. Jared's putting the boots to Aguilar here. Clothesline. And Jeff at this time, I think he was in a weird space, and I obviously think, you know, him calling Austin 316 blasphemous had a lot to do with it, and with Austin, you know, being the golden goose at the time, you couldn't touch him or say anything negative without getting in trouble. And I think that's what happened to Jeff, and I think, you know, with how... His dad, Jerry, treated Austin during his time at SWA and just everything like that. I think there was a lot of animosity between Jeff and Austin. And really, at this point, there shouldn't be none anyway. But as we see, I look going crazy here, doing some bad flips, pin kicks, everything. Doing some high-class lucha moves, which you can be seeing in Brandon, Mississippi, coming up on Cinco de Mayo weekend. Nice little tie-in there. Takes down Jarrett here. Jarrett's on the ropes now. Big slam by Aguila. We went up top. Corkscrew moonsault. Halfway lands on Jeff. Jeff was supposed to move. It didn't look too good. He landed on him, but just like, okay, I'm not gonna sell this. Here we go. This looks so. It looks so garbage when you watch it because he clearly hits the move. Jarrett just gets up. Figure fours and like it didn't hurt him, and. Inaugula gives up, man. What a what a match, man. You know, it wasn't great at all. I hated the ending here. Man, Tennessee, Lee, and Double J. And this partnership wouldn't last too long because Robert Fuller would leave WWF not too slow. Oh, wait a minute. Here comes Steve Blattman, the lethal weapon coming out. Taking out Jeff Jarrett here. Boom, big kick. The clothesline over the top rope. And I believe these two are going to have a confrontation at Unforgiven as well. Tennessee Lee here with, you know, the Jump Rope Academy. Bam. Jared Knott's blabbing out of the ring. And Bladman was only a couple months in here. I think he debuted in Survivor Series 97 as a friend of Vader's. And, you know, a martial arts expert and all that. And it was interesting because he was popular there for a time, but really never reached any great potential outside the hardcore division. You know, I think it was a multi-time hardcore champion. And he had that tag team with Al Snow. I think Head Cheese is what the name of that team was. As we go backstage, Vince McMahon is ordering the cops to bring Austin out. They bring Austin out in handcuffs. Vince tells Austin that he's going directly to jail. They put Austin in the car. Austin actually, before getting in the car, headbutts Vince into the wall. He says, don't worry, Vince. I'm going to get your ass. I'm going to get your ass, Vince. This ain't the last you've seen of me. As they carry Austin off, we see Cat this Jack in the background. Him and Terry Funk, and that's how that segment ends. Austin's being carted off to jail. We're back with 1-800-COLLECT. Man, how many people used that back in the day? Let's throw it back. And we also get the World Wrestling Federation album, the second album. Well, uh, Camelot Music and The Wall, two places I've never fucking heard of before. So if you'd like to enlighten me, let me know. As we see a Cartman 420 sign. This is right when South Park was getting hot as hell. The New Age Outlaws were wearing South Park outfits with Kenny and Stan and Kyle and Cartman. We get a replay of Austin getting carried out of the arena by police. Me and a man following behind. And they're showing more than they actually showed right before they went to commercial break for this. They're showing Austin actually being put into the vehicle. And again, like I said, he says, I'm going to get your ass, Vince. You ain't seen the last of me yet. I'm going to get your ass. Just good shit. Good shit, man. The Austin Man Saga has officially started. And man, it's starting off hot. As Austin is getting carried away to the local police facility. McMahon with his smirk on his face like, yeah, you motherfucker. You don't do that to me. Frisco was beside, him, Mr. Man Man, I'm going to get you some coffee. The sergeant says, and that's an order. Oh, the fucking stooges. Speaking of which, everybody's coming out. My man, sergeant, and Briscoe coming out. And I think they're going to address the WWE Universe here. Or as at this time, they were known as fucking fans. What they actually are, they're fucking fans. It's not a fucking universe, you retarded moron. Sorry about that. I had to get a little vent out. I I hate the term WWE Universe. It's fucking stupid. We're wrestling fans. We enjoy wrestling. Your business is World Wrestling Entertainment. And if you guys didn't know, like, one of the things is you cannot call it World Wrestling Entertainment anymore. You have to call it WWE. Like, they don't want it known as World Wrestling Entertainment anymore. It's just WWE, which is pretty fucking pathetic. And it's a shame that Vince has gotten away from what made him, and that's professional wrestling. Point blank, period. He wouldn't have anything. He wouldn't have the WWE films. He wouldn't have none of that shit had it not been for professional wrestling. And I think it's a disgrace that he downs on WWE, or downs on wrestling, I should say, as he's saying here that Austin has been arrested, and Austin had no right to do what he did. And like I said, man, it's just pathetic. I'm glad we have a company, AEW, and it's all elite wrestling. you got Impact wrestling you know business like that where wrestling is emphasized that's what it needs to be and he talks about intelligence being insulted everything that they're doing now is insulting everybody's intelligence simply because you're going into an entertainment aspect when realistically your business is professional wrestling it could be entertainment but it's also a sport so that just irks me and i had to get that little rant out of the way we see that later on tonight, Triple H and China will be addressing the fans and seeing what DX is going to have going on for them after Shawn Michaels is gone. We cut backstage. Triple H and China are back there, and he says we're going to find out tonight about the genesis of D-Generation X. And also later tonight, we got a steel cage match for the undisputed WWF Tag Team Championships as Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, aka Terry Funk. Take on Road Dog and Billy Gunn of the New Age Outlaws. And this match is coming about because of their dumpster match. They didn't put them in the official dumpster for the match. They put them in a dumpster backstage. And here we are with the Nation of Domination. The Rod rock, rocking that beautiful new IC title belt. Got the purple strap with the blot logo. The oval block logo, I should say. And he's asking if the Nation of Domination is strong. Now, what he's referring to there is here lately, Farouk and The Rock have been having a lot of issues. Farouk being the leader of the nation, of domination, and The Rock being the up-and-comer, trying to take his spot, more or less. And uh, he says to Farouk, you know, he has his full support, and that the nation is going to be stronger than ever after tonight. It's fun seeing Rock here at this point, because he is the Intercontinental Champion. This is right before the d and Nation stuff throughout the summer. This is before turning heel and joining the corporation again. After his little brief stint as a baby face and becoming WWF champion. It's just, he's still in that building phase. He's, he's finally getting in his groove, finding himself as we head on over to the war zone. And I love that they had this double intro. We had the all together theme here. And again, like I said at the beginning, it's gritty, it's raw, it's... It's just beautiful stuff. They're working in a warehouse. You've got the old helicopter footage that they use later for the Rocks Hollywood entrance theme and Titan Tron. Just beautiful stuff, man. WWF Warzone. We get a recap of everything that happened earlier on in the night with Austin and my man. You can see here, especially on this episode, that this is big. This is going to be the thing of the year. And just like with anything from WrestleMania, and the night after It sets the tone for what's to come within the year That's what this meant to be You know, like this past year we had Bobby Lashley come back Everybody thought that was going to be great But Lashley really didn't do much But that was supposed to be a catalyst for change And WWE usually brings out Everything they can For those Raw After WrestleManias Whether it be NST call-ups New talent arriving from Independent scene or Impact or wherever You know, to make a name. And here it was just storyline. We're going to have one big storyline. And it's going to jar the whole company. As we get the nation of domination coming down to the ring here. Got Farouk, D'Lo, Mark Henry, and the Godfather. Also known as Kama Mustafa. This is right before he would become Godfather. I don't know why the rock walked like he had a limp. I guess he was selling the injuries from the ankle lot the night before. But you can tell they had a noticeable limp. That purple strap on their intercontinental belt is absolutely gorgeous. If you can't tell, I'm a belt fan. I love belts. My favorite belt is actually a belt I owned at one time. Was the uh, Smoking Skull belt the Stone Cold Steve Austin had from mid '98 onward? And due to unfortunate circumstances, I had to sell it, and I regret selling it every day. But that's probably my favorite belt, along with the Big Gold. As we see Ken Shamrock and Steve Bladman, who finally got dressed up, he owns karate gear now, they're having a little tag match. And Shamrock at the time, just like I mentioned at WrestleMania 15, he was one of those guys that should have been a world champion. But there was so much talent on that roster at the time that he just kind of got lost in the shuffle. And the best thing he ever did was be Intercontinental Champion. And I think one thing that killed Shamrock's momentum was his feud with The Rock at the time. As he was feuding with Rock here, Royal Rumble, he won the Intercontinental title, but the belt swapped back to The Rock because they found Brass Knucks in Shamrock's tights that The Rock had put there. Then you go to WrestleMania. Shamrock supposedly wins there, but it gets overturned. And that killed his momentum, really, as we see The Rock and Farouk arguing over who's going to start this match. Everybody's saying Rocky sucks. The fans are all over The Rock. Rock comes in. He's looking around, man. The Rock's expressions here are just great. He's wanting to square over Shamrock. Shamrock's ready to go. Everybody's telling The Rock to go on ahead and fight him. The Rock's like, back him up, back him up. I, It's not like I didn't hate their feud, but it killed Shamrock's momentum because he could never beat The Rock. He beat him, but he can never get the title. Rock sneaks a tag in on Farouk. He says, come on, man, get in the ring. You wanted to get in here. And it's funny that The Rock is the only one that doesn't wear like a full-body outfit. He wears his trunks and knee pads while everybody else is wearing like a full-body singlet. Farouk in here laying punches down on Shamrock. Big power slam. Good grief. Farouk, Ron Simmons, whatever you want to call him, man. I believe that he could have been WWF champion, too especially in the early stages of the Nation of Domination, where he was just this evil, prick-ass leader, you know, fighting for what he believes is right, you know, meanwhile being kind of a militia of sorts. And I think he could have had a decent run, at least worked the main event program with Shawn Michaels or somebody during that time, instead of working with Ahmed Johnson. We all know how that worked out. Psych kid by Blackman. And I mentioned earlier that Steve Bladman his really only big success was the hardcore title reigns that he had. And the head cheese gimmick with him and Al Snow. And that's a damn shame because he wasn't the greatest worker, but he could have done more. But I think the hardcore style fit him better with both the off Shamrock, nice elbow. And in this matchup, you're going to see a huge change in direction. And it's something that I'm looking forward to. And I know most of you already know what this is and what's going to happen here. Big drop kick on the Farouk by Shamrock. Everybody's telling the Rock get in the ring. The rod's just lattes a day, holding his hand out for a tag. But Farouk's taking most of the damage here. Big drop kick by Blatman. Ref took a sweet ass time to get in the pin situation there. Damn. Back and forth, just working over Farouk here. Big spine buster by Farouk. And here comes the tag. Here we go. The rod's won it. He's like, tab me, tab me, let's go. Farouk's slow crawling. The rot puts his hand up. He's like, come on, man, tab me, tab me. My hand's up here, Tag me. Rod just being an asshole, Farouk trying to tag out. The rot steps down from the apron and is walking toward the back. Shamrock takes down Farouk. The Rod doesn't have time for this. The Rod's injured. He doesn't care. Shamrock fucked him up. He doesn't have time for Farouk's shenanigans. Farouk with a big... Looks like he's going for power slam. Nope. Head off the ropes. Belly to belly by Shamrock. Pin one, two, and three. As the rock walks to the back, what in the fuck is going on with the nation of domination here? As Shamrock and Blackman win the match. And they know poor Farouk got fucked over. They just decided to leave him alone. As they walk on to the back. I always find it weird Shamrock wearing red because I started watching when he was wearing the blue tights. Eventually went over to the Green Tides, which were probably the worst. But, uh, hey, it, it matched. It, you know, Shamrock, Green, you know what I'm saying. Farouk is pissed off, and he's won the microphone. All the members of the nation are out there except for The Rock. Farouk says, boy, you better bring your ass out here right now, because you're going to be toting an ass-whipping. And that's the one thing I would not want from anybody is an ass-kicking from Farouk. Ron Simmons is a tough son of a bitch. It still is, even though as old as he is. I don't think that he was the best promo in the world as The Rock comes down. And I think that held him back from the main event scene just because his promo skills weren't the greatest. The Rock comes down. The Rock slides in the ring. They're face-to-face, nose-to-nose. Yum Buck and the old line going at it. And the Nations employee. Here goes Double edge hate down. And Farouk's all over The Rock here, right back on top here. These two just brawling. The nation is just breaking apart at the seams. D'Lo and Godfather holding back Farouk. Mark Henry's trying to hold back The Rock. Got Pat Patterson and Briscoe out here. Tim White. Everybody's out here. The Rock still noticeably limping. Seems like The Rock's breaking out on his own. Farouk said, it ain't over. Not like that. He said, bring his ass back down to this ring. The Rock does the people's eyebrow. And then all of a sudden... D'Lo, Godfather, and Mark Henry are attacking Farouk. Attacking their leader in the nation of domination. And holy shit, man. Shit's breaking down here. The Rod's coming back toward the ring. They're just mauling Farouk here. And you could tell in the early part of the year, especially at the Royal Rumble when the Rock eliminated Farouk during the final three, that something was going to happen. And these two had had problems before. Rock sets him up, rock bottom, planted his ass. He says, let this be a lesson to you, you stupid piece of trash. The Rock doesn't ever want you to think that you were the leader of The Rock, and that The Rock is not only the leader of the Nation of Domination, but he is the new ruler of the Nation of Domination. So, man, we got a change of the guard here. New nation on the way, and again, like I mentioned earlier, they're going to be fuming with D-Edge. The Rock's going to be fuming with Triple H most of the time. And there's going to be something to look forward to in the summer months. Everybody lines up as we get the nation pose. And I got to tell you, I love the nation of domination. I absolutely do. I loved everything they were about. As far as the faction era teams go, besides the hard foundation, I love the nation of domination. And it's such that, you know, Farouk wouldn't go on to do much after this for a short period of time before he and Bradshaw teamed up to become the Acolytes. But during, in, during the in-between time, they had him come out. He had generic-ass theme music, had random-ass tag team partners, and they were just trying to find a fifth for him, and I think he lost a hell of a lot of momentum after that, especially this moment right here. This pretty much killed Farouk until he was in the Acolytes. But as for the Rock, it's onward and upward for him as we see Farouk getting carried back to the back by the officials. Now we get the WWF Rewind from dial 10 one they went to 50%. We get old Pete Rose. Pete Rose out here. We brought him up in the WrestleMania 15 episode in the archives. But this is the first encounter with him and Kane. We made fun of the city of Boston. Kane brought him out a game of Tombstone. And that was a huge moment in time for everybody. Because Pete Rose was synonymous with baseball and him talking trash about the Red Sox. And Kane actually got a little babyface reaction for Tombstone in him. I didn't understand why they brought Kane out for that, but, you know, we go back to the moment where The Rock put up the eyebrow. As soon as he did it, bam, D-Lo with a hit to the back. Kam Mustafa, Godfather, Mark Henry, just waylaying on him. And now we have J.R. and King out here as compared to Jr. and Michael Cole at the beginning of the show. That's one thing I also liked about this time period. They would change up the announcers during the second hour. Just to give you a little variety, and out comes Degeneration X, Triple H and China. Now, Triple H just came off winning, or should I say retaining, the European Championship against Owen Hart at WrestleMania the night before, with help from China and some powder and a nice low blow. And Shawn Michaels is not here. Now, what you need to know is Shawn Michaels' last match at this time was WrestleMania 14. And he was leaving because he had a serious back injury that he suffered at the Royal Rumble against The Undertaker in the casket match. His back hit the edge of the casket. and caused him to have an injury. And he was working hard for a long period of time. And WrestleMania 14 was his last match for several years. He wouldn't come back into the WWE until about 2002 as a full-time wrestler. Triple H is bringing up the fact that Sean dropped the ball, and he kept telling Triple H, Don't sweat it, kid. My Tyson's in the bag. He's with us. Don't worry about it. And Tyson ended up turning on Sean during the main event against Austin, revealing that he was with Austin all along. And Triple H is here explaining, you know, you screwed us over. We had such a good thing going but now it's my turn to take the ball and run with it. And I've got something very special coming. Now this moment here, this right here is a huge, huge moment for WWE and for DX as a whole going forward. Because everybody at this point thought the DX was just going to die right after WrestleMania 14. Nobody really knew what was going on. And he said that he knew he needed to look for somebody. He said that he needed to look into his heart, he needs to look for his friends, and that he needs to look to the click for help. He says this is the genesis of degeneration generation Eds, and that tonight will be a drastic change in how things are done. He said that he's making the changes that should have been made right from the start. And man, this moment right here, I'm telling you, when I go back and watch it, it means so much and understanding the story, he says, you look in your heart, you look to your friends, you look to the click, and out comes the former one, two, three kid, the former pock in WCW Sean Waltman. Now he had just been on a stem with WCW as Sits and he was in the NWO, one of the hottest groups of all time and he was a big focal point of that group. And Eric Bischoff had let him go just because he didn't necessarily want him. And he wanted Hall and Nash more than him. And you would see in a later promo, I believe it aired on the Thunder, where Hulk Hogan said that he couldn't cut the mustard. And everybody's just going fucking crazy for Ed Spock here. And he's so hyped to be back. You can tell it in his face. He's just, he's happy. You know, and I think WCW, he was comfortable but when he got treated the way he did towards the end of his run, it just really didn't work out. He's going to let loose, man. He's going to tear in there, Bischoff and Hogan and everybody, man. He's in Albany, New York tonight. He's wanting to raise a little hell and make a little noise. And you can kind of see here, Dietz is still popular. You know, they were heels, and they're still popular. You know, they're the cool kids. They're telling people to suck it. Getting kids in trouble at school for that bullshit. I was one of them. But... He said he was laying bad with his mind on his money and his money on his mind. And he gets a call from his best friend Triple H. And he says that Eric Bischoff sucks. And it's crazy, you know. This is like the first big jump since Let's Luger. And at this point, this is in the heat of the Monday Night Wars. He was a prominent figure in the NWO. And for him to jump, it changed everything. And this is just the beginning of the change for Dietz. They said Diaz is going to get rowdy, and it starts tonight. The change starts tonight, and we'll see what they mean by that, man. We'll see what they mean. We get the Bop It Slam of the Week, man. It's taking me back to my childhood playing fucking Bop It. We get a replay of the Miz team match where Sable powerbombs Luna, and this is Sable's first big matchup, and it's on WrestleMania, and she hits Luna with a power bomb, hits up the victory for her and Marmero against Luna and so man. Things are getting hot and heavy for Sable. It won't be long before she's in Playboy and, you know, doing her little grind routine and just being the hottest thing in the WWF. We come back and Dietz is still out there pointing to the crowd, telling everybody to suck it. Man, they're just having fun. And although they were heels here, I think this is where the turning point comes for them to be baby faces. Up next, we have Marmero and Sable coming out. You get WWF Unforgiven in your house, sponsored by Dial 10321. You can save up to 50% on your phone call there, but they also have 1-800-COLETTE. Which one would you dial? Which one would you dial? Back then, what would you dial? You got to make that Colette call. As we go back to the crowd here, signs everywhere, man. Signs, sign, everywhere, signs. Oh, my God. Now, I watched this before we started recording. This part was so fucking cringe, but so funny. It's Val Venus, and it's his debut promo. And he's sitting there watching one of his films, and the way he's talking is so fucking funny and cringe at the same time. He's like, when I come into the World Wrestling Federation, you're going to know what Val Venus is all about. And it's such a departure from what he'd become with the Hello Ladies. Excuse me on that horrible, horrible example of what he was doing. But this stuff was so cringe and it goes on so long for no reason. And I think this is the first time that they've shown a promo with him. And he's making all these sexual windows, of course. That's what he's known for. But man, you guys have to go back and watch this. If you're not watching it now... Go back and watch this promo and see how fucking cringe this shit is. It's already cringe enough that you're a porn star in the WWF during this time period. And I think a lot of fans would have hated him for that. But eventually they grew to love him. But this shit is so damn cringe. Val Venus. Wow, damn, I'm good. And then you got these tight bingo stripes going across the screen. Val Venus is coming. WWF. That was so goddamn cringe. But out now is your light heavyweight champion, Taka Michinoku. And for a long time there, they had Sunny coming out and doing ring announcing. I think whoever was backstage making her do that, they loved the way that she said Michinoku. Because that's that's the only time she'd come out is to call his match or the little people matches. You know... The little Lucha Libre stars, uh, names escaping me, El Torito, and, uh, damn, they're all escaping my name right now. But there was a crew of those guys there that she would always come out and call their matches, uh, Tarantula or something like that, a Battalion, and all those guys. As we get Sable and Marmero coming out to the ring, Sable looking just as fine as ever, man. You could tell at this point, Marmero's just the side piece here, and Sable is the star. I mean, Sable's so goddamn gorgeous, but wait a minute, we hear Sable! Oh, Sable! is Luna, Luna Vashon, man. Luna always had this crazy look, man, and I think that's what made her unique. Uh, part of the Vashon family, you know, Mad Doll Vashon and all them. And she keeps saying, Sable. And she's wanting Sable in the evening gown match at the pay-per-view. And she calls Sable a slut because she doesn't think Sable wears any bra and panties. Which, looking at the outfit she's wearing right now, we know for sure she's not wearing a bra. Don't know about panties now. But we know for sure she's not wearing a bra. But at Unforgiven, it's going to be an evening gown match. And the winner of that particular match, you have to be stripped of your evening gown to reveal your bra and panties. And then your opponent wins. So, that's the first time for this match to be happening. And this is the point where they're going to start exposing Sable's sexuality a lot more. You know, it won't be long until the fully loaded thing with the pasties, the hampering pasties over her breast. And just wild sets appeal going on at this point, you know. As if it wasn't bad enough, because you had Sonny come out a couple, maybe a year or so before, wearing a thong on a pay-per-view for SummerSlam. You know they were getting risque there, but man, they were just touching the surface, and Sable was going to break through that surface just as soon as she could, man. And you know, teenage me, young boy growing into a man, me, he kind of enjoyed this, but you know now I know it doesn't have its place in WWE anymore. You know, it's all about women empowerment, and I have no problem with that. And I think, you know, doing this is empowerment as well. You know, showing off, you know, your features and everything like that. But it's totally different now. We live in a totally different time, and it's completely understandable. You know, and Playboy's not even what it was back then. And uh, may Hugh Hefner rest in peace. Sable says she's going to kick her scrawny ass. And the crowd's going wild. Everybody loves Sable. I'm not going to say nothing else about Sable because I don't want Bra Lesnar to come kick my ass. That's the last thing I need in my life. But Mero is getting angry because everybody's chanting Sable. During this time, Merrow was having this issue where he would send Sable to the bad just to make fans mad because he wanted the spotlight. He didn't want Sable getting the spotlight. It's Taka Menchinoku is going off on him right now. Nice little forearms. And I always thought Taka was a great talent. I like Taka more than I did Funaki during the Kiantai era, and uh, Yamaguchi son, may you rest in peace. You know, talking about Kiantai. Jimmy Kuderis out here, referee in this match. Jimmy be trolling a lot of fans on Twitter, if you've ever seen that. He's got me a couple of times, because I popped off at him, and what I, what I felt was right, you know, he had a smart-ass comment, so we haven't had good turns, but you know, I get a laugh out of Jimmy's stuff. So, it's all it's all fair, you know. Ain't nothing wrong with it. I don't have no problems with him. Mero here. Mero's an underrated talent, you know. He got overlooked just because of Sable. But if you go back and watch, you know, his Johnny B. Bad stuff. And I like this style of Mero. The boxer style. More than I did the uh, Johnny B. Bad character. But even then, he was a great fucking worker. As he hits Taka with a low blow. TKO. The move that I tried to use as a finisher when I was wrestling. Fucking love that move. It's an inverted F5 if you don't know what it is. Instead of spinning him outward, he spins him behind him and catches him in a cutter. Gets the 1, 2, 3. And Mero wins the match. Mero's just being this arrogant prick. Sable's checking on Taka. You don't do that with Mero here. Mero's like, fuck you and fuck Takatu. Get your ass out of the ring. We need to go make some ass. Just a chauvinistic pig. Doesn't care about Sable at all. He's yelling at her all the way up the ramp. Just classic hill ship with Marmero. And they would be fighting all throughout the year. I think until Mero leaves in like September, October. But Kayantai hit the ring. Miss Tao... Dit to go, or did Togo is he's really known as. And Shofunaki. Now this is right before Taka joins them. I think it'd be a couple of weeks before Taka joins them, he turns on Val Venus, and that's where the choppy choppy PP comes in the hand. Big slam there. Big send time by Dit-to-go. And I think they went by Club Kamikaze at one point. I don't know if that was here or before, but who thought that name was a good idea? Club Kamikaze. Taka is laid the fuck out. We come back and we got some tag team matching here. Jim Cornette out here with his Midnight Express. With Bombasted Bart and Bodacious Bob. And he introduces Dan the Beast Severn. Dan being a former UFC fighter just like Ken Shamrock. I believe was NWA champion at this time. And he comes out the ringside. As the Midnight Express is taking on the Headbangers here. Mosh and Thrasher. I always enjoyed the Headbangers. A lot of people really didn't care for them. You know, they're wearing skirts and stuff. And just being different. You know, with the mosh pit and all that stuff. Freaking Bob Holly here with the long hair. and You can't replace a team like the original Midnight Express with these guys. And it's funny seeing Bart Gunn here. Knowing that just a year's time, his ass would be knocked out by Butterbean. In the most sickening fashion. You can listen to that in the WrestleMania 15 episode in the archives. And I don't know what it is about Dan Severn; He looks like he will legit fucking kill you. But WWF really never. I guess his style didn't mesh well with the WWF. Because he was more of a ground and pound wrestler. Just like he would have been in UFC. He didn't have a lot of intensity. And it's sad to say that. Nice and net breaker by Bob Holly. But. I just don't I don't think he fit for them. And I know that they were trying to get over this N W A thing at the time and that didn't work out. And it's just it's crazy. To see Dan there and I think his most noble feuds would have been with Shamrock and I think he worked the Lions then match with Owen Hart and all that. Just he didn't really get a lot done in his time in the WWE but, you know, having that name recognition from the UFC and Just him being a a well-known fighter and having the legitimacy meant a lot for WWE to have him. Mosh taking a beating right now from Bob Holly. A lot of people couldn't... And it's funny watching the announcers. They couldn't get the names right. It's Bombasted Bob... Or... look Look at me now. I'm the one fucking up. It's Bodacious Bart and Bombasted Bob. And... You know, you had Loverboy, lover boy, Dennis Condry, and Sweet Stan Lane, and, you know, all that. So they tried to mesh with that up, but holy shit, it was weird. And if you're an old school fan, this is kind of like sacrilege for you, seeing this, seeing the Midnight Express like this, and you're like, no, that's not Midnight Express to me. And I don't blame you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim this either. This is like that ugly stepchild that you have. You just don't want to claim it. It's there, but you don't want to claim it, so... Monster's on fire here. Big power slam on Bart. Excuse me, Bob. Bart breaks up the count. Things are breaking down here. Thrasher's is finally in the ring. What I never understood, and this is stupid babyface syndrome again, it takes six fucking years for the babyface to get out of the ring because he's arguing with the ref. Like, come on, you know what's happening here. Rocket launcher. Cover one, two, and three. Thrasher's retarded ass took so long to get in the ring for no fucking reason. He was standing right there, saw the move was happening, but waited until two and a half to try to jump in the ring as the Midnight Express retained their NWA tag team titles. Cornette's whispering in Severin's ear, and it looks like Severin's about to beat the shit out of the Headbangers. Big ass belly to belly to Thrasher. Looks slow as shit and a chokehold underhook suplets to mosh. It's one of those things where it's not like he's putting a lot of pressure on him Now, with this move, is kind of a surfboard stretch of sorts, but he's only doing the upper part of his body with the knee into the shoulder blades. Now that shit might really hurt. But those suplexes were so fucking slow. I don't know. I'm watching this in real time, and it took him like 12 seconds to flip them both over. Cornell Cornette walks out with him. And like I said, there's going to be a huge contingent here for the NWA. And Jeff Jarrett was originally a part of it. Barry Windham was originally a part of it. And Austin's called in. And he's saying that he'll be at Raw next week. He's going to give Vince for his actions. And everybody's shot. And Austin's ready to go, man. Austin's ready to fight Vince. He's ready to fuck Vince up. Well, what Ben's done is said, uh, I'll see y'all next week. And just the thing, man, this, this is just the beginning. You have so many more years of Austin versus Ben man, coming, and it's just exciting, man. This episode's been exciting for the most part, just because, like I said at the beginning, this is a catalyst for change. Each thing that's happened, the storyline has had changes. The has changed. Austin McMahon has a big change. And we're finally back from commercial break. The refs are setting up the ring for the cage matches coming up. But wait a minute. The lights go out. Oh shit. Here comes the big red machine. Kane. Now, like I mentioned, Kane from ninety seven to oh one, oh two was damn good. Like and again, my personal favorite is the 04, well not 04, 03 to about 06 Kane, right after he had unmasked, just was psychotic. I remember him electrocuting Shaman Man's testicles, setting JR on fire, and just everything like that. Paul Bear's out here with him saying, he's still standing after Undertaker attacked him. It took three tombstones from the Undertaker to put down my fiend. They left Undertaker laying Excuse me, I was trying to transition out of my Paul Bear voice. But they left Undertaker laying at WrestleMania after Undertaker won the match. Paul says he's had a dream. A dream about a ring being surrounded and engulfed by flames. And this is going to lead to their Inferno match at Unforgiven later this month. And this is the first time this match has ever happened. They set Pyro around the ring. And light it up, and it's going to be a big fire that's going to be around the ring the entire match. And the only way you can win this match is by setting your opponent on fire. Such a barbaric way of doing things. But, man, you talk about intrigue. Oh, yeah, we're setting a motherfucker on fire. You might want to watch the pay-per-view. Come on, now. If you want to watch shit like that, go ahead. But... The Undertaker and Kane's feud during this time from 97, 98 was just fucking spectacular. I hated that they joined them together in late 98 as a duo. Just because you had built all this up for so long. And yeah, Undertaker got the best of Kane most of the time there. But man, you you should have kept them separate for at least another year or so. But uh... Eventually, like I said, they would join forces to take the WWF Championship from Stone Cold Steve Austin. They would do that at Breakdown, where both of them would pin Austin for the title. And the title would end up being vacated. Because you can't have a dual champion like that. And it would go on to be Survivor Series, and The Rival would win the WWF Championship from Mankind. And then we'd get into WrestleMania 15 with the Rock as champion. You know, after a little back and forth with mankind, swapping the titles at Royal Rumble and halftime heat, and, you know, everything in between, heading into WrestleMania 15. Paul says, Undertaker's gonna burn in hell! Burn in hell! As we head on into the Inferno match at Unforgiven. Again, guys, sorry for being kind of short and having these long pauses. JR and Kane going over like, how can you set somebody on fire? Meanwhile, you got the ring crew putting out stuff. See Kyoto out there not wearing a ref uniform. He's wearing a crew shirt and shorts. You got Cat this Jack and Chainsaw Charlie coming out. Chainsaw has a big ass fucking bruise on his side. And I believe he had passed out from this pain that he had from this bruise and had to go get a scene about. Not too long after this. Just fucking brutal, man. But that's Terry Fun for you, man. Terry didn't give a fuck. As long as he could go, he was gonna go. And you can see that in Beyond the Mad. His body was fucking fucked up, and he's like, I got a retirement match. Wasn't too long after that, he was still wrestling again. Sometimes still makes appearances. I think he's fully retired now, but. Lord man for for a while there he'd retire and retire retire and retire and you know I love Terry to death but god dang man at some point you just gotta stop yet again we get the WrestleMania encore presentation video coming through Tyson knocking out Michaels man that was a moment right there Tyson laying out Michaels Michaels flat on his back not to be seen for four years and it's time for that D-O-double-G and the badass himself, Billy Gunn, sporting a Kenny shirt, just like I mentioned earlier about the South Park characters, he is sporting a Kenny shirt. Freaking Road Dogs out here, <laughs> Road dogs is wearing a Job Squad shirt. Holy shit, I never thought he'd be doing that. Not this time, I do not even think Alex Snow was in WWE at the time, was he? I don't think so, I think he came in later. But he's wearing a Job Squad shirt. Got the pin me, pay me on the back. That's fucking funny. Match is starting off hot and heavy here with a nice blue cage. Big bars. You know, it's not all mesh. It's just fucking metal bars. Billy is posing. Fun's bruised kidneys. Road dog got his hair all up in a mess. Billy stomping on that side of Terry Funk here. And the Outlaws are pissed here. The Outlaws got cheated out of their WWF tag titles the night before WrestleMania. As I mentioned earlier in the show, that they got put in the dumpster. And that's how you're supposed to win the match. You're supposed to put both opponents in the dumpster and close the dumpster lid shut. But they did not use the official dumpster that was at ringside. They used one that was backstage. As they suplex Billy Gunn and hold him upside down. Almost a tree of woe style hanging from the... Uh, Top of the cage. Cat delivers a nice elbow. Billy's still hanging here. He goes drop to the floor. Nice little back and forth match here. Cat this goes for a dive. Big bad drop into the cage. Fuck that. I know that hurts. Mick Foley is a god dang superhero. He really is. He's a superhero disguised as a regular ass human being. Motherfucker is invincible to anything. And it's fun to think that he would take brutal like that, but in just a few months' time, he's going to fall from the fucking hell in a cell at King of the Ring. Not once, but twice. And just become synonymous with that, and not to mention taking the 12-plus chair shots to the head from The Rock at Royal Rumble 99. got put his body through a lot of shit at this time. As we see Billy and Road Dog trying to hang Terry Funk up on the cage, Believe they got handcuffs to hang him up there. Yeah, he is hung. They have wrapped his neck around the around the cage, and they are decimating Cactus Jack here, making Terry watch on, slapping Terry, just absolutely hell shit here by Road Dogg and Billy Gunn, choking love the ever loving shit out of him with them fucking handcuffs around his neck. Big double DDT by Cactus. Everybody's down. Billy's setting him up for a nice pipe pile driver. Cactus counters. Big whip into the cage. Billy over here selling like some bitch. Funk gets a hand up, punches Billy in the face, knocks him down. Road Dog tries to throw Cactus into the cage. Cactus throws Road Dog into the cage instead, and shit is just breaking down here. Cactus is going to climb up to the top. No telling what this fucker's going to do from the top of a fucking cage. We've seen him jump off the cages. We've seen him do a bunch of shit. He cannot be trusted up top. Billy comes after him. Back and forth shots here. Cat is laying it in. Oh! Dick split city for Billy Gunn here. And now comes d What in the hell is going on? Cat is climbing over the top. S-pop. Bam! 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 Three fucking brutal chair shots to the head. As China's distracted Tim White. Don't know why you need a distraction. There's no disqualification. It is what it is. And. As Pie tosses the chair in the ring. Here we go. Bite pile driver on Cactus. Billy laying light, pay me like one of your French girls. Road Dog with a fucking worm. Into the pen. Such a cocky asshole. One, two, three, And you have new world tag team champions. And the New Age Outlaws. And have the Outlaws joined D-Generation X? You bet your ass they have. They're attacking Terry Funk, S-Pock, and Triple H are attacking Cactus. Just brutal shit here, man. And like I said before, it's the changing of the guard. You go from having three man, well, two man, one woman group of D-X. To having a full on squad here. Pedigree to Cactus. And, man, Dietz is going to be on a roll from here on out, man. The crowd's chanting for Austin here. Of course, Austin's not going to come out. And this is going to be the catalyst for Austin facing Dude Love at Unforgiven because Cat This is going to be upset with the fans because they were chanting for Austin, not for him. And thus he becomes Dude Love again, turns on Austin, and they have a match for at the next couple pay-per-views. As for Diez, man, they're heels here, full-blown heels. But in a couple of months' time, they're going to be the top babyface acting the company. And it's just because of their rude and crude attitude, telling everybody to suck it, you know, pissing on DOA's motorbikes and, you know, stuff like that. Just being, like, childish and sophomoric, man. Just the humor that they had at the time. It got him over so well. And Terry Funn looks fucking deranged here. Sick fucking chair shots of the head of McFoley. God dang. Man, had we known what concussion protocol would be now. I know Cactus was concussed from that shit, man. That shit was brutal. I've been hitting the head with a steel chair before in one of my matches, and that shit fucking knocked me loopy. And it was a rookie mistake on my end for not putting my hands up. But we end this Monday Night Raw with d standing tall as Raw goes off the air. So, man, that was the Monday Night Raw review from March 30th, 1998. Classic Show review for y'all this Friday. Uh, Like I said, we got a special interview coming up with Mr. John Paul LeBlanc. So I want you guys to stay tuned for that. Listen and enjoy. And I'll see you in a few, ladies and gentlemen. Join me on the podcast today—a very special guest, the owner of Four Corners Photography, Mr. John Paul LeBlanc. John Paul, how you doing, my friend? Doing wonderful today, brother. How you been? Man, doing fantastic. So tell everybody what you've been up to. Oh shoot! Besides
1: going out there and beating the streets and collecting miles underneath the wheels and looking at life through a windshield on the weekends and going and shooting professional photography for almost 87 promotions in 10 Southern States. We've actually kind of broken off a little bit after this year's WrestleMania down here in New Orleans and we kind of decided to focus on a little something different. And, uh, Kobe Rutland, who is the CEO of body slam media productions uh, lives up there in the Jackson Mississippi area. I'm located here centrally in New Orleans and jackson being just about 150 miles away kobe has you know been around doing a whole bunch of stuff with Body slam media productions himself you know doing the promoting and and he was the lead announcer for swa in hattiesburg and we decided to join up and give something to the state of mississippi that hasn't been done before and we started up hoodmark lucha libre promotions and it looks like we will be giving Mississippi's first ever Lucha Libre Showcase.
0: Man, that and sounds Brandon. that sounds freaking fantastic, dude. Now, before we get further into that, uh, just let people know like some of the big people that you've worked with. I know you've worked with Booker T and some the other Hall of Famers and legends in the business. So just give everybody a little info about Four Corners Photography as well.
1: Oh, well, she, yeah, that's easy enough right there. <laughs> I grew up in the Southern Wrestling thing with Mid-South Wrestling. Uh, I was kind of centrally located, lucky enough, <laughs> growing up. So I was steeped in the tradition of wrestling a long time ago, 1975. Um, I've been doing the photography thing for almost the last 10 years on, the, on a full-scale basis, doing the promo pics in the back, doing ringside paparazzi and stuff like that, doing the action photos. So throughout the course of working you know, with everybody down here, from, like we said, just before Booker T to Killer Tim Brooks um, up in Dallas and worked with uh, Kevin Von Eric in Mesquite. And, you know, a lot of the top names come through the Gulf Coast. And, you know, Ricky and Robert Gibson, you know, whenever they come to town, we always take good care of them down here with their photos and whatnot. And, I, you know, we work for a little bit of everybody, including my stint back in the day as uh, TNA This was when it was NWA, TNA, and they were doing the live shows and live events down here. So we were always working hand-in-hand with Jeff Jarrett, doing something promotional-wise or working for his um, impact wrestling shows that were traveling around, hitting all the uh, minor league ballparks in the South, as well as, you know, working the WrestleCons and going out there to North Carolina to the WrestleCades. And working with a lot of guys like Damian Wayne Casal and uh George South Junior and you know, a lot of top names throughout and so it's it's been one wild ride on that end, that's for darn sure.
0: Man, I see you traveling the world, at least down here in the South, and man, I met you while I was working with Battle Zone Professional Wrestling. That's where I met you at and you know, you took some photos of me, some that were some of that were unflattering, but That wasn't your fault. That was the promoter's fault. You know, I had to put on a Mr. Wrestling 3 mask with no shirt and tights that barely even fit. And the thing about that was we had a battle royal that night. And I believe Tiffany Black was under a mask and she was supposed to be a guy. And she ended up winning the battle royal. Well, I'm like a couple months into training here. And Joey Abel, Chris Phillips, he says, hey, I need you to be in this battle royal. I don't have nobody. I'm like, uh I barely know a wrist from a wristwatch. but you want me to do this? Okay. <laughs> so, you got pictures of that somewhere. It's somewhere on my Facebook profile, but you did promotional photos for me and my partner Partner Colton when we were Tad Team Partners back then, and you know you did great work. You always do great work. Uh, I know you've worked with Jordan Grace as well, and it's just cool seeing you travel around and put work in, put the miles in and You know, right now with your Hoodmark Productions and all that, just trying to get the word out and show Mississippi there's more to wrestling than the southern wrestling that there is. And
1: Well, we we also call, you know, the Hoodmark thing a little thing. We call it the heart of lucha because we really are in the midst of this lucha libre resurgence in Houston as well as in Dallas, also in memphis and we see lucha libre in albertville alabama and birmingham area and as well as down into new orleans and chalmette so there's this big circle and you know it just seems to be that jackson is right smack dab in the middle of it you know and it's it looked to be like something that the folks would really like to see, cite the people, you know, and it's, that's one thing I can definitely say after all these years of being around wrestling and being around all these top promotions, I've been taught the right way to do things. And, you know, with this show coming on at this time and point in Pointing juncture, hey, we're just so happy to be able to bring in these top tier talents that are going to come in and, you know, keep these seat, people off from the edge of their seats. I'd like to be able to charge them half price because I know they're only going to use half the
0: seat. <laughs> I hear you there, man. And like we talked about earlier, there's a resurgence going on in professional wrestling. You know, along with AEW and WWE, you know, the independent scene itself is flourishing right now. It's the best it's ever been, really. And It is definitely
1: on fire. <laughs>
0: and it's, cra- it's crazy to see because growing up as a wrestling fan, you know, I was in that late 90s attitude era And WCW, you know, had the Monday Night Wars. And after that was over, you know, it was just really WWE. And, yeah, TNA was on the up and up. But, really, you didn't hear anything else about independent promotions other than Ring of Honor and, you know, IWA Mid-South. That was pretty much it.
1: I always always seem to laugh, you know, just because of my travels. I always seem to wind up near a, a little wrestling promotion that may or not be on an upper level tier level like some of these bigger shows but they can pack in the people and put the smiles on the people's faces just as easy for just a little bit less on the wallet
0: exactly
1: and and that's that's something that's always been down here in in the south you know growing up in new orleans and going to shows in picayou mississippi and going to shows in tyler town and going to shows and in macomb when i was younger you know That was a, you know, we always thought it was a big deal because we left our state of Louisiana. And, you know, even though it's a hop, skip, and a jump for us country kids, you know, city kids, they would never make that trek. So, you know, I'm hoping to see, like, you know, not only the resurgence with the professional wrestling as a whole, but I like to see a resurgence of the fans coming out like they used to. I mean, it used to be 100, 200 people easily on a Saturday night. And and these shows, folks, you know, all of our little tiny rural towns, all the way up to Amory, all the way up in there to Lula. You know, you'd be surprised the state of Mississippi and the amount of shows that they have from one end to the other, uh, including Natchez. Now Natchez is becoming a hot point. You know, uh, with uh, I think that's a uh, Bayou Independent Wrestling over that way. It, it's been a long time since there's been wrestling on a on a major scale over that way. And it's always good to see. And you know, we were just discussing AEW and. It looks to me like I have one of their top guys coming in for us, you know, Cinco de Mayo weekend, Saturday, May 4th.
0: Excellent, man. What's going on?
1: Uh, it looks like I've got a hold of Matt Cross, and let me tell you, that's the son of Havoc in Lucha Underground, and as well as this is going to be his Mississippi debut. He has wrestled in every state in the Union except
0: Mississippi. Wow. Wow and see
1: we're very excited
0: and see people like you said you know he's son of havoc and lucha underground he was also at all in and he's been around for so long and it's crazy to think that he's never been to mississippi
1: that's exactly what he said to us (laughs) so we were just so excited to be able to get him to come in and you know once again you know when we talk about all of our major top tier talent that's out there nowadays a lot of folks are going to be traveling because it just seems that WWE just had a little washout on their roster. So, as the independent scene's thriving, we just may actually get to see a little bit more top TV talent coming down to the Gulf Coast and coming down into the Mississippi and, and Alabama area.
0: Man, yeah. I Just seeing everything that's happening right now as far as people, you know, leaving from WWE, they finally feel feel like they can have their freedom and that's what professional wrestling needs and it needs talent to be able to go different places and thrive and you know just make it on their own and you know grow and now the aew is around you know there's a second place where people can go if they want to have major league talent but also it helps out with these indie shows like you said because now everybody can see these big time stars in small town places
1: oh yeah that's a that's a definite bonus on both ends, especially with the way that the multimedia and and all of our social apps out there have been able to connect us even more. I can remember a day that we used to have to wait at the mailbox. It may be six days, it may be fourteen days. <laughs> but you had to hear about wrestling somehow and now it's almost instantaneous, so you know we're gonna we're gonna see that little resurgence, that little pop of folks coming back into into our local scene. That's gonna, you know hopefully it's gonna give a rise. Man. A lot of these little promotions down this way can can you know expect to see some you know top tier talent coming through the state.
0: And that's one thing I've thought about also. You know watching SWA and watching you know other independent promotions around here. There's a lot of guys that are low key great talent that people don't know about I think once people start getting out and going to the events they will start seeing that oh shoot this is something I'm missing out on and they'd want to see more of it and that's how you get people in the doors.
1: Most definitely most definitely watching some of these young guys grow up in Mississippi and and actually being able to break out of Mississippi has always been a pleasure it's always wonderful to see somebody from Mississippi in another state Doing their thing because I can guarantee you that you know the state of Mississippi is being well represented by these athletes that you know travel. So it's a, it's a win-win situation for everybody right now. We're just we're just so glad to be able to put out this little promotion and put out this Lucha Libre showcase for everybody. And when I say that you know we've known a lot of wrestlers throughout the time and watch them grow up, it's you know it's it's we we're watching their kids now in the ring basically but the kids nowadays that are coming up in wrestling we're here as Hoodmark lucha libre promotions not only as a promotion to come in and wrestle but you know we're, we're having a chance to be able to give back and we're running seminar with none other than Ricky Reyes um the same day as the show Saturday May 4th and we just want to let the kids out there that are wrestling and let the let the young talent out there know that in jackson mississippi you can actually get a seminar from a gentleman that's been to japan a gentleman that's wrestled pretty much in every promotion from coast to coast a gentleman that's been on tv multiple times he's been a he's on his third year or almost fourth year of lucha underground and he's been on since the very first episode you know that's cortez castro ricky reyes and you know hopefully a lot of the talent out there will you know take a little thinking about it and might want to come down and let ricky impart some of his knowledge you know it's always good to sit underneath that learning tree
0: oh 100 100 you know that's one thing when i was starting you know we really didn't have that around here uh more mostly you had to go like tennessee or alabama or somewhere just to have a seminar just to sit there and listen to somebody you know teach you and that's one thing like i went to dyersburg tennessee for a promotion and i met nelson frazier aka viscera mabel and oh, yeah. talking to him he was such a class act dude was humble as could be he'd help you if, if you needed it and i think a lot of young guys because especially me when i was there i had no clue what i was doing i was supposed to be a manager for my TAD team at the time and i'm in a full-blown suit we're in this warehouse that's like 120 degrees I'm sweating my balls off because I didn't bring no clothes, <laughs> just my suit. But he said, man, uh, next time, don't wear a suit <laughs> until you're ready to go. And he just said, you know, take what you learn and use it to the best of your ability. And for the time that I was wrestling, I did that, and uh, I enjoyed every bit of it. And uh, unfortunately, some things happened, and I'm not in the business anymore as far as that goes. But doing this podcast thing, it's just it's that avenue and it still gives me that rush just like it did when I was standing in front of the crowds when you were taking pictures and video and everything like that you know it's still a rush to me and it's something that I love and I think you know having that common bond of loving professional wrestling because it's it's such a beautiful sport if people give it a chance that you know it's there's nothing like it there's really nothing like it
1: oh that is for sure you know like, like I said I was I was a young, young, young kid when we were going to wrestling. I was going to wrestling back before kids were really even around ringside. It wasn't really something that was for kids. It was an adult thing, and I was just lucky enough that my my both of my grandfathers were, you know, pretty much situated well in the community that <laughs> I could I could just go to the shows and. But I guarantee, you know, I sat there on my hands and I and I only was spoke when spoken to and. You know, and but I was hooked from such an early age on it with all my relatives being into it. And it was it was always something that wrestling was always there. It wasn't even football. It wasn't baseball. You know, wrestling was always there. I guess it's because it doesn't take seasons.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's just it's always there. Sometimes you wanna break, but you know, that's a good thing about wrestling. Also, you have so many different forms of it. You can have your entertainment based with WWE, then you can have the hardcore stuff, you have the lucha libre, you have strong you have style. Strong style.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You have you have
0: so many revenues and avenues to go down that you can get lost. I mean, going on YouTube and just searching wrestling content, you'll get in a rabbit hole real quick. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I I'd normally find myself about 12 pages way too deep into YouTube.
0: <laughs> Man, you'll be also king of the death match stuff. Like, how are these people doing this? <laughs> this isn't wrestling, or at least not what I know, but hey, there's people out there that love it, so can't hate on it.
1: No, most definitely. it's it, Like in, we were just saying earlier, you know, the resurgence of it that's been kind of funny to watch you know but once again i say it's the multimedia thing now it's just that phone in your hand that can let you get a hold of anything that you want at the time you know it's it's i think that's what's really pushed wrestling to the forefront you know it's not wwe network it's not it's not anything well not it's not any one thing it's just so many things put together and podcasts you know god bless it i love to listen to a lot of podcasts from a lot of different people i've I spend most of my time going down the road listening to more wrestling podcasts, and I do know about actual news in my own dang neighborhood. So.
0: <laughs> Man, that's, that's how I am. When I'm on the road, it's podcast central for me. And that's one thing that really got me into it is because, you know, listening to Conrad Thompson, and this dude doesn't live that far from me, and seeing that he's from a small place like Huntsville, and... Growing the business that he's grown with all the podcasts that he's doing with Tony and Bruce and Eric, it's just amazing how he did that. And for me, I took a chance on myself because I had been working retail since I'd stopped wrestling and I just didn't care for it. At that point I was just done, you know, I had some unfair treatment at a place that I worked at and I said, Screw it, I wanna be my own boss and I want to do something that i love and talk about what i love which is professional wrestling so just having this avenue you know means so much and you know i shared my stuff with you on your page and just trying to get my business out there because you know i'm trying to grow as well as you are with your business so it's just one of those things where now wrestling is available through so many different platforms whether it be podcasting videos you know GWN network wwe network uh, new japan world just so many different avenues and i think that is one of the reasons why wrestling is so hot right now because you have that variety and you don't have to say oh i'm going to watch wwe i'm going to watch you know Edge versus Undertaker in 2008 when you had really nothing else to watch other than AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and TNA at that time. So,
1: which was groundbreaking? I will add that.
0: Because, yes, you know, it was.
1: A, a lot of that style that was going on and I don't want to harken it back to the WWE WCW days when everybody was putting a number on what they were, but talent-wise TNA was definitely number 2 for a while. In my eyes, just because they were breaking out that young blood, they were breaking out those new guys. They were bringing up guys that were young, exciting, and that you knew deep down you were going to see in the top two pretty soon. Oh, you know? of course. And then, of course, WCW going by the by the way, and for a long time it was just the WWE. You know, that's when we saw the schools start popping up a lot more. We always know that Jim Cornette over that way was smoking Mountain Wrestling. They had a lot of involvement with their school with WWE for a long time that people just weren't weren't even, even they didn't even know that, yeah. you know, and now all of a sudden the schools are in the forefront. The schools are almost a show with their own right, you know. So
0: And I know looking at Booker T's it, reality of wrestling, you know, he's doing such a good job with that and he invited me out there and unfortunately I couldn't make it at the time, but you know, just being able to see that and You know, he's doing such great work, and I'm so proud for him and Stevie for going into the WWE Hall of Fame because Harlem Heat, one of the greatest tag teams of all time, a team that I grew up loving, and just seeing that he's teaching all these kids, and I've watched several episodes of Reality of Wrestling, and I enjoy it. And for just being in training school and a television show, they're doing great things out that way.
1: Oh, definitely, and they got a wonderful time slot for TV on Channel 39 they picked up the old time slot that Paul Bosch and Houston wrestling used to have on Sunday mornings. Oh man. Let me tell you, I was raised over here in Louisiana, but I was, I lived most of my life in Houston and Dallas. And I went over into Houston at a time when it was just when that Paul Bosch era was really hot when I was young. And many times I've moved back and forth, you know, I've watched Paul Bosch and I was, I was lucky enough to get up to Dallas and, 89 and kind of watched the demise of WCW of their world, the world-class championship, you know, WCCW. Yeah. But, you know, I've watched Booker and Stevie come up throughout the ranks when I was younger. And I remember when Booker started his very first promotion at the, at the prohibition bar in downtown Houston. I remember when Stevie used to run shows up and down all the way to Tyler, Texas, natchitoches texas and places so when you say harlem heat and stevie ray and booker t that's that's houston hometown homeboys right there you know (laughs) stevie and booker t the row product can't be touched right now over on that side you know it's 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 top notch and of course you know a lot of that has to do with a lot of guys behind the scenes that really don't get a lot of attention
0: you know and
1: that's kevin neal bernhardt and um that's uh, Bruce Pritchard. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, when you have two talented people like that in, in and in a great locker room and a group of guys to work with, they, I really can't go on enough about it. And Look, I'm, I'm sitting here talking about it, but let me tell you, folks, I've got a couple of the ROW guys coming in to hood Mark Bray. That's how much I believe in their product. I said, I called up the guys in Houston and said, hey, but y'all come to Jackson, Mississippi, and they was like, where is that? <laughs> and i said well guys it's it's a little bit of a trek but you know i, I believe that we're going to have a little blast here with this lucha libre concept and the guys are on board we've got galactica astrala from down in beaumont and tasw and humble he's going to be coming in as well as gino the latin heartthrob we got hyann young and she's been on you know some wwe programming here recently, and. We're bringing in AQA from that way. And look, that's how much I believe in the Booker T product.
0: (laughs) Man, sounds great. So give everybody a shout-out to where they can find you guys at on social media.
1: Oh, that's easy enough for us. Uh, You can get a hold of us on, you know, John Paul LeBlanc, L-E-B-L-A-N-C, on Facebook, uh, as well as Four Corner Photographies with an S on Instagram and you can see a lot of the places that we go and catch up a lot of the really good action with Kobe's YouTube channel for Body Slam Media Productions and you know Kobe is just like myself we travel constantly we're going to a lot of different promotions and Kobe actually provides commentary throughout the matches and gives you a nice little rundown in the history of you know the promotions while he's there very talented kid you know just that's a that's a that's a blessing for the state of Mississippi right there he's the youngest on-air personality Mm -hmm. you know it's when we grew up we were always watching these older gentlemen and we you know you grow to learn from them you grow to trust from them to have somebody so young be in the forefront of the future for Mississippi wrestling that's a that's a great boon for the state
0: Of course, man, of course. So uh, let everybody know when the show date is and everything they can find out about it.
1: Oh, most definitely. Um, You you can check us out at Hoodmark Lucha Libre Promotions on Facebook. And, you know, we're going to be doing a little rundown. That's going to be Saturday, May 4th, Cinco de Mayo weekend in Brandon, Mississippi at the Brandon Live City Hall Venue. And we're going to have a bunch of matches with talent from everywhere. I uh, have tour from New Orleans coming in versus Alex Graves from Brandon, Mississippi and Pro Wrestling Ego. We're going to have Antonio Garza and Angela Straw from Invasion Mundial Lucha Libre in Alabama. We're bringing in Tattoo from Darius Lee from Memphis, as well as Corey Constantine from down here on the Gulf Coast. He's been tearing it up down here recently. And like I said earlier, we had Haiyan versus AQA coming in from Houston, Texas, ROW. Uh, we have Galactica and Brendis Del Air. They're going to be a tag team versus Elemento Independiente and King Garuda. And they're going to be with manager Eddie G. And Eddie G was an old manager from the TNA NWA days. And he's been working on the Gulf Coast recently, helping to bring up some talent down there in Alabama area. Uh, we'll be bringing in Gino, the Latin heartthrob from ROW, and he'll be going against El Fuego. And El Fuego is a very talented high-flying luchador, and he's even been to Chikara. I've seen this young gentleman as far away as Milton, Florida, out there with uh, Sika's and the Samoans out that way. And then for our main event, folks, I don't even think it could be touched. It's going to be Matt Cross with Big Ramp from Big Ramp Enterprises, managing them, versus Ricky Reyes. And once again, folks, from the top of the card to the bottom of the card, this is just action packed. It's it's top-tier talent from five stakes. And that's going to be Saturday, May 4th. Cinco de Mayo weekend in Brandon, Mississippi.
0: Man, sounds fantastic. Well, John Paul, man, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. I appreciate you getting the word out, and I'll be getting out the word for you. Uh, As we're recording this, it's actually Wednesday, and this will be on the Friday podcast, so everybody just check it out. And you can head over to StrongCast Wrestling on Facebook. You can just search us up. And... We'll be airing this episode, like I said, on Friday. And, John Paul, man, I appreciate you so much for stopping by, and I'll chat with you later, man. Oh, well, yes, sir, (laughs) looking forward to it. I appreciate the chance
1: to get the word out about it and the chance to talk old-school wrestling with somebody that really loves it.
0: (laughs) Oh, of course, man, anytime. And you're welcome on the podcast at any time. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. All right, brother, take it easy. Yeah, blessed day. All right, you too. Bye. Guys, before we wrap things up, I wanted to thank John Paul LeBlanc for stopping by. Hope you guys had as much fun listening to the interview as I had recording it. You can follow him on Facebook at John Paul LeBlanc, that's J O N P A U L L E B L A N C. Or you can follow him at Hoodmark Lucha Libre Productions on Facebook as well. Don't forget that their Lucha Libre Showcase event will take place in Brandon, Mississippi at the Brandon City Hall single de Mayo weekend on Saturday, May 4th. Follow their Facebook for more information. And I also want to thank all of you for listening to the StrongCast Wrestling Podcast. With each episode, I feel myself growing and becoming more comfortable with everything. And I hope that you guys will hang with me through the journey and support me through the journey. Because without you, there is no podcast. And so from the bottom of my heart, I wanted to say thank you. Once again, I'm Tyler Mitchell, a.k.a. the King of StrongCast, and I appreciate you stepping through the ropes, grabbing a hold, and listening to this episode of the StrongCast Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Follow our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash StrongCast Wrestling Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at DTBig79. If you want to be a supporter of the podcast, you can make a monthly donation to the podcast by visiting anchor.fm forward slash StrongCast Wrestling forward slash support. Guys, have a great weekend, and I'll see you in the ring.